Now, I want us to uh, turn in our Bibles to Mark. Again, by the way, I appreciate so much Officer Scythe, who was here last week and filled in for me and told on me. Uh, and he said that he only gives tickets to people who are going 13 miles over the speed limit. And then he turned around and said he had given me a ticket. So I assume I must have been going uh, at least 13 miles over the speed limit. But I don't think I was, but, you know, everybody thinks they're innocent. So I guess, okay. But uh, he did a great job. I enjoyed listening to his message, and uh, it certainly was a good message about God's divine appointments for our life. But I want us to uh, read a passage today in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. It's a familiar story to us, a familiar passage to us, and uh, I think it has a lot of relevance to our lives today. This uh, Jesus and his disciples, have uh, they're coming right almost to the cross. They are on their way from the upper room where Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper and uh, they shared his last meal with his disciples and they are moving from there to Gethsemane where he's going to pray the most impassioned prayer that we have recorded anywhere in the Bible and on the way it says that he had some information to share with his disciples. When they had sung a hymn, this is Mark 14, verses 26 through 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. That must have been a, such a shock to them. The word there, the word for fall away in the Greek is the word scandalon. It's the word that means you'll all be scandalized tonight and because of of the scandal of my being arrested you're going to all desert me and it's just I mean these men have been with Jesus for three years if you had asked any of them do you love Jesus they would have said with all my heart I mean he is not only my teacher he is my master. He is my Lord. He's my rabbi. Everything he says to me, I believe. And I love him with all my heart. And then for Jesus to say to them, uh, you're going to all desert me. You all will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, this totally meant nothing to them. I mean, three times Jesus has told them that we have recorded. He may have told them a hundred times. I'm going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be turned over to godless Gentiles, and I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I will rise from the dead. And the Bible makes it clear that they just didn't, didn't get it. They didn't understand that at all. And I mean, who would blame them? That's just not something that they could wrap their heads around. And uh, so now he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you 
to Galilee. So they just, uh, okay, and they're probably still thinking about somehow or another, you're saying that tonight we're going to all fall away. And so Peter said to Jesus, they may all fall away. But even though they all are scandalized because of you, I will not. You can count on me, Jesus. I guarantee you. I mean, it's possible these other guys are going to run away. But I will not. And Jesus said to Peter, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, Twice, you will deny me three times. This night, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will have denied that you even know me. Not just once, not twice, but three times you will deny me. And Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then the Bible says they all said the same thing. All of them said the same thing. Now the fact of the matter is, when we read ahead, within just a few hours, soldiers came led by Judas who betrayed Jesus with a kiss and the soldiers arrested him Peter did make one feeble attempt. He drew out a sword and, and cut off the ear of one of the uh, servants of the high priest. And Jesus told him to put away the sword. And he even healed the ear that had been cut off. And then the Bible tells us that all of the disciples fled. When Jesus was arrested... They had all just said, I mean just a few hours before, maybe two hours before, they all had said, we will never desert you. You will not be ashamed of us. You will, you can count on us. And then within a couple of hours, the soldiers show up and the disciples in fear fled for their own lives. And as far as we know, John and Peter were the only two who actually even followed Jesus into the trials that he was going to be going through. And of all these disciples, only John actually went to the cross and was there with Jesus. But Peter, he stood outside the courtyard where Jesus was being arraigned and tried, falsely accused. And three different times, someone came to Peter and said, I, I've seen you with him. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? Oh, no, no, he said, you, 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 you're mistaken, Asa, not me. And then a second time, we... We've seen you with him. We know you're one of his disciples. And Peter was not only one of his disciples, 
He was probably his chief disciple. But a second time, Peter said, no, I, I, I don't even know this man. And then a third time, he was confronted exactly as Jesus said. We know you're from Galilee, where he's from, because your accent gives it away. We know you're with him. And Peter, with an oath, he cursed and took an oath and said, I swear, I do not know this man. And then the Bible says, the rooster crowed. We're told in another gospel that there was a brief second, a brief moment, where Jesus actually locked eyes with Simon Peter after the rooster had crowed. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. But I want us to think not about what happened, but about his certainty that nothing would happen. And I was think of the danger of our overconfidence today. I read stories almost every week of persecuted people in other countries, Christians that have been arrested. So since we've never been faced with that kind of dilemma, it's hard for us to uh, know. Just like Peter and the other disciples, I don't think they were lying when they said, we would never desert you. We'll never fall away. I wouldn't deny you. But they did. And I think that it's important for us to be very cautious of our own overconfidence in ourselves. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit later, we have an advantage that they didn't have that uh, I think will help us. But the second thing that I would say is that Jesus knows our every weakness. He knows that we're weak. And uh, just hours before this happened, Jesus had his disciples at a table, and the Bible says that he laid aside his outer garment and he took a basin, a bowl of water, and he wrapped a towel around him, and he got down on his knees and washed the feet of each of his disciples, knowing that within just hours, they were all going to make the most shameful decision and cowardly decision of their entire life. And knowing that, the Bible says that he washed the feet of the disciples. And uh, he washed the feet of Judas, knowing he was going to betray him. He washed the feet of each of his disciples. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't really have any part 
in the ministry that I have. And then Peter, always overdoing, said, then, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. Wash me all over. And Jesus said, you're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you, by the faith that you have. You're already washed, but you do have need that your feet are washed. And by the way, did you know that all of us who put our trust in Jesus, we all have been washed. We're now clean before the Lord. But we do need daily to have our feet washed because we walk in a dirty world, don't we? We live in a corrupt place, and as we go through, we need our feet washed. But now, our feet are not washed by the blood. Our whole self is washed by the blood. We're made clean by the blood of Jesus. But our feet are washed by the water of the word of God. And as we read the word and it reveals our dirt, it also reveals his cleansing of that dirt. So we need to wash daily in the word. So Jesus knows our every weakness. But he continues to love his disciples knowing that we're weak. Isn't that good news? I can remember a time in my Christian life where I I thought it was really up to me. I felt like when I became a Christian, I said something like this to God, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to I'm going to make a difference for you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live the Christian life. And when I first became a Christian, I thought that the Christian life would be easy. And then I learned that the Christian life was hard. And that was a step. But then finally I learned that the Christian life is impossible for me to live. There's only one person that has ever truly lived the Christ life, the Christian life. And who is that? It's Christ. He lived the perfect life. And so if I'm going to live that life, I will never do it on my own. But when I yield to him and when I say, Jesus, you are my life and he lives in me and through me, it is not me. It is him that's living the Christian life. That's the reason the Bible says that if we, uh, if we yield to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I try to fight sin by myself, I may win some battles, but I will lose some battles as well. As a matter of fact, If I live my life fighting sin, where is my focus? My focus is on the sin. But if I live my life loving Jesus and 
allowing him to live through me, my focus is on him. And he wins the victory. That's why the Bible says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, trusting in him and in his promises. So he continues to love, even though he knows we're weak. And then he promises the future. He said to his disciples, after I'm raised up, I'll meet you in Galilee. And even though they didn't fully understand that, I'm sure, he was at least giving to them a promise that what you do tonight, even though it's going to break your heart, and even though it's going to bring a sense of shame and disappointment to you, it is not going to end our relationship. I will go before you to Galilee. And after Jesus died and was buried and after he was raised from the dead, Mary goes to the tomb. She comes back and she says to the disciples, I've talked with Jesus and he said to meet him in Galilee. And they go to Galilee and there, as they're out fishing, they look and they see Jesus walking on the seashore. And he's actually prepared a meal for them. He's made them some breakfast. They've been fishing all night. And when they recognize who it is, they come into the shore, and Jesus says to them, Come and dine. I've made a meal for you. And then he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Wouldn't that be a hard question? It'd be like a be like a wife saying to a husband who's been unfaithful to her. And he's repented and acknowledged it. And the wife says, Do you love me? How's he gonna answer that? can't say no I don't because he does but he knows if he says yes I do it would be possible for her to say then how in the world could you have betrayed me and so Jesus asks Peter Peter do you love me and Peter answers and says yes Lord I do love you he actually used a different word for love he used a word that meant best friend kind of love instead of sacrificial love. But he said, Lord, you know I, I love you. And then a second time Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. You know everything. You know I love you. And then a third time. For three denials, Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? Are you truly my friend? And the Bible says Peter was brokenhearted. And he was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, and feed my sheep.
I'm not finished with you, Peter. Your ministry is not over because you failed me. I know you love me. So I have something for you to do. So he promises a future. And then fifthly, our faith really has to be tested to show that it's real. Let me just tell you, I've read so much stuff this last week about conditions, changing conditions, rapidly changing conditions in America. There was a time, really up until a few years ago, that Christians had the home field advantage. It was our benefit to be a a Christian in America. But I want to tell you, that's changing today. Just this last week in Irvine, California, Greg Lowry, who is an evangelist, kind of like Billy Graham, had hired a publicity team to put up some billboards of him advertising a crusade that he's having, an evangelistic crusade. And on the billboard, it just showed Greg Laurie standing there holding a book in his hand. It didn't even have a cross on it. It didn't even say Bible. It was was a Bible. And he's just him standing there and inviting people to come to the crusade. They got so many phone calls, this uh, publicity thing, saying you need to redo that. That Bible is offensive, and it's hate speech. And so they said, uh, Greg Lowry said, uh, okay, we'll, we'll take the Bible out of my hand, and we'll let you put up the poster without me holding the book in my hand and just advertising the crusade. And then the Irvine Publicity Group called him back and said, you know, we've decided that we can't publicize your crusade at all, even without the book in your hand. We've just had too many people call. That's in America. Now, I realize that's California. But... What happens in California eventually happens just about everywhere in America, doesn't it? And even though we're, we think of ourselves as pretty safe right here in Dallas, because this is the buckle of the Bible belt, right? But I want you to know that right here in our city, an outspoken Christian who speaks clearly on biblical issues and on Jesus being the only way of salvation will be met with serious opposition. And it's as if Jesus is saying to us, what will you do when you are faced with criticism and reproach and uh, rejection? And then what if it came to the place where it actually became physically dangerous to take a stand for Jesus? Now, I think all of us would probably say right now, 
even if it came to that, I take my commitment to Jesus so seriously that I would not deny my faith even to save my life or the life of my family. But Jesus is telling us in this passage, be very careful because your resolve, when it is tested, may prove to be weaker than you think. Knowing what we should do does not guarantee what we might do. But I don't want to close with a negative. I want to close with something very positive. We have an advantage that even Simon Peter didn't have. All of this that happened with Peter and the disciples all happened prior to Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, God's Holy Spirit lives in you. You have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ is in you because the Bible says if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. He's not a Christian. But he also says that we have all been baptized into one Spirit. So if you're a Christian... There is dwelling in you that one that Jesus promised in John chapter 17 when he says, it is necessary that I go away. It's beneficial that I go away because if I don't go away, then I will not be able to send the Holy Spirit. And he said, I've been with you, but he will be in you. And that's quite the difference. So what happens when our faith is tested? What happens when, when we are put into a situation where we might be shamed, rejected, persecuted, or maybe even killed for our faith? Jesus made this promise to his disciples. When you're threatened in such a way, He's talking about after Pentecost now. Don't be afraid because in that moment it will be given to you what to say. I I read so much about persecution. I read Voice of the Martyrs and all of the different articles that I get over the Internet about Christians who are suffering and dying for their faith, there have been more martyrs for Jesus in my lifetime than there have been in the entire history of Christianity up until the day I was born. More people are dying for their faith on a daily basis around the world than, uh, than at any other time in history. So I just 
want to say to you and to me, there may come a time, there may come a time in your lifetime. This is one of the things I was practically in tears this morning as I was praying for Noah, Daniel. Thinking what, thinking about the changes that have taken place in my lifetime and who knows what changes there will be in the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in America. There is absolutely a hard, hard push in our country right now to reject everything that has to do with traditional Christian patriotic values. And I have two great-grandchildren that I pray for every day that whatever comes in their life that God will give to them the faith, the courage, the commitment, to be able to stand no matter what. So I think God says to me through this passage, don't depend on your own self. Don't say to the Lord, I'll always stand for you. I'll never fail you in my own courage. I must never say that. But what I hope to be able to say and do say is Lord because Jesus lives in me not just for me but because your spirit is in me I trust you that if that time comes or when that time may come that I will trust you to give me the courage I need and the words to say Corey Ten Boom who was persecuted severely in a German concentration camp for protecting Jewish people during the Holocaust. She said to her father, before they were arrested, she said, Father, I don't know that I'll be able to stand if I'm arrested and persecuted and put in a concentration camp. And he said, oh, Corey, he said, when I take you to the train station when you were a little girl, when did I give you your ticket? Did I give it to you before we left the house? She said, no. He said, why not? She said, because you knew I might lose it between there and the train station. He said, when did I give you your ticket? She said, just before I stepped on the train. And he said, in the same way, God will not give you today the courage you need for something that may happen a year from now. But when that moment comes, he will give to you the ticket that you need and the courage that you need. And that's what I pray today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story. It's told in all the Gospels 
I thank you for the transparency of the gospel writers. It would have been so easy to have just left this out about Peter's failure. But I thank you that it's for our instruction to remind us not to boast in our own self and our own courage, but also to know that he was fully restored and that after the day of Pentecost, he boldly stood and even was arrested and severely persecuted and eventually even executed. And yet his faith did not fail. And I pray that you will help us to know that though we may be tested severely and though we may pay a great price for our Christian faith, that you will provide for us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. And I pray that you will help us to rejoice in that fact and to be faithful today to take a stand for Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.